This week, the Scooby Dudes have two for the price of none for you, unless you're a paid subscriber, in which case, two for a variable price of your own choosing. It's Scooby Dudes, and we're doing another double episode. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. This is technically a free product, unless you donate to us, in which case, I think it's still free. You're just giving us money. Yeah, because it's not it, it's not like you're buying it for us. I, it's almost a pay what you want, and most people don't want to pay anything. <laughs> which is which is honestly kind of funny considering how this outro is gonna go. Uh, <laughs> which will be very long. So uh, to get right to it, this is Scooby Dudes, a podcast where two best friends talk about their favorite meddling kids and their dumb dog too. Uh, like Luke said, it's a, it's a double episode. This is the new Scooby and Scrappy Doo show. Yes, it is, and we're doing, uh, and, and this show is formatted with two episodes within the 20-minute uh, slot. So we're doing The Creature Came from Chem Lab, um, Season 1, Episode 4A, and... And we're doing No Thanks, Masked Minx. And, uh, and like Evan said, we have a lot to get to in the outro, so I, I don't want to mince any words. Let's hop to it. All right. Uh, what do you think? Is that good? Is that too brief? I think it's all right. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. All right, so we've already said in our intro uh, what we're going to be covering. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and I believe that's the new Scooby and Scrappy-Doo show. Yep, the one where it's uh, two 11-minute segments that comprise a 22-minute episode overall. So before we do our recap, as we regularly do, um, I've had a particular uh, listener slash, uh, quote, friend, unquote, who... I thought thought you were saying whinging cretin was the term you were using before we started recording. I've never used the word whinging before. (laughs) It was definitely cretin then. Yeah, whining cretin. It it was. (laughs) I I also pronounce it Crete. Crete. I, I don't know. I, I don't like know. Some, I thought I someone it. from the Isle of Crete. <laughs> That's worse, dude. You can't say that. He's this is still a friend. Don't don't drop that low. But what what did this uh, so-called friend, so-called fan tell you? I assume they they said I love your podcast. Don't ever change anything about it. Uh, well, they said that they had it had kept them company on like the cold streets of Montreal that they walked uh, alone. Okay, they weren't homeless. For a second, no, I thought this was their version of a cardboard box. <laughs> like, it keeps me a little bit warm. Um, but he, he said he expected a lot more analysis, mm. was, was uh, his primary criticism. Um, so wh- I, there's, there's something that we can discuss in regards to the new Scooby and Scrappy-Doo show. Yeah, as, uh, as I kind of indicated just a little bit, this has an interesting setup, different from any other Scooby-Doo setup that I'm, uh, I'm familiar with, in that it's... It's a 22-minute episode that's broken up into two mini-stories, 11 minutes apiece. Very common nowadays, but uh, to my knowledge back then, there weren't a lot of shows doing this. So so um, we did this last time, uh, like episode 7, so like quite a while ago. Um, and we discussed in that episode a few of the other shows that also, um, that also use that format, uh, some of which are still popular. Like Steven Universe does that. Yeah, We Bear Bears does that. Um, you mentioned Powerpuff Girls before we started recording. I think it's pretty common today to have these 11-minute episodes. Star vs. the Forces of Evil also does this. 
Well, I feel like Cartoon Network in general tends to follow that a lot. Like, I'm I'm almost certain that Dexter's Lab also did two, like, 10 to 11 minute segments. In my memory, Dexter's Lab did, like, two segments within 11 minutes and then another two in the next. Like, it was so short, but that's probably just my kid memory. So, uh, I mean, what... How, how do we feel about that f- format? Well, I, first of all, I think we should acknowledge that it's pretty different for Scooby-Doo. I, I'm not aware of another version of Scooby-Doo that does this two 11-minute uh, episode setup. So it's different for Scooby in general. Um, and it's a, dipar- a departure here. And maybe they make it work partly because they've trimmed Velma and Fred out of the equation, as they, do, they did frequently in this period. They just kept Daphne, Scooby, Shaggy, and uh, Scrappy. Maybe that's part of what makes it possible to... They're working with a team light here. Yeah, there is that. I haven't seen, like, We Bear Bears. With Steven Universe specifically, I think it's really interesting that they adopted that format um, because Steven Universe is so narrative. Mm. Well, Steve, Steven Universe pushes the narrative along in in jumps and uh, in starts and jumps. It, it, it pushes the narrative along a little bit at a time every episode, so I almost feel like the 11-minute episodes really help its narrative setup because you can move this piece just a little bit forward, then the next episode you move that piece a little bit forward, and you've got these relationships developing in a really believable big way over what feels like a long period of time, even though, you know, 10 episodes is actually just five episodes by any other cutting length. Um, but here, we don't have a big narrative. Yeah, and I mean, when you contrast it with something like... Um... Adventure Time also can be narrative, but let's say uh, like SpongeBob SquarePants. Mm. Uh, it, it more is just like we had like they had two premises or they had like a number of premises, and they they can keep it tight. Like here is um, an episode where I don't know like Squidward wants a raise. I I haven't watched SpongeBob in a while, and it it, may, it allows them to to explore that in a really in a really tight way, like you said. I think of it as compared to most episodes of The Simpsons. When I watched The Simpsons growing up, something that occurred to me is whatever plot point they start on, they never end up, like, it's never that thing. If Homer buys an elephant at the beginning of the episode, the end of the episode is all about um, his favorite bar being sold. Like, there's so many different plot points. It trans, so many different things happen that our focus shifts a bunch of times. And with Scooby-Doo, they can't really do that as much. Like, they show up at a tennis court and then it's a tennis court, a tennis episode. Um, so it sometimes feels like they're really padding out 20 minutes to keep you in that setting and to keep sitting there. 11 minutes, I feel like, gives you... Like with the first episode we're about to talk about here, it pretty adequately explores the setting in just 11 minutes. Yeah, I, I th- think that the first episode is a lot more successful. Um, mm. But I think one of our criticisms when we last did this, I think it was um, The Fall Dog and... Uh, the Scooby Coop. The Scooby Coop was that uh, they felt, since they were so boiled down, they felt almost too condensed a little bit, like rushed almost. Yeah, they were missing some of the elements that I think we would have liked to see. Um, and there were some pluses on the other side of that. When we watched The Fall Dog and The Scooby Coop, we saw two different takes on some of the same themes, uh, like automotive themes. Um, here... Of course, we've got. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about how these two episodes connect up to each other. That's that's going to be something we should probably discuss once we're in it. Um, but I agree with you that the first half was more successful than the second half. Maybe this is just a way of uh, going quantity over quality. I also, um, in regards to that, I, I think it's worth saying that just because like we've seen bad episodes of 
the new Scooby and Scrappy Doo show doesn't mean that the format itself doesn't work. I agree with that. So, and and you're right. Here we're talking about the format, not necessarily every instance we've seen of it. Um, and this this is an older show. It's not. This didn't come out five or even ten years ago. So there's going to be some uh, some raw, some rough qualities to it. That's part of the charm. But do you think this is something that you'd care to see revisited today? I actually think I might. Um, just because I think people are. In, in this like era of like cartoons people are more familiar with that like people are writing that um, and they know how to do it and they know what works so I think yeah I think it's possible that Scooby could could adopt yeah. this so I mean and to make it even more specific say be cool Scooby-Doo our favorite incarnation that's currently on television as uh, as helpfully created by uh, John Coltonathan Berry I, is that do you think it could work with that show even it's it's really hard to comment on Be Cool Scooby Doo, um, just because you and I both love it so much. Yeah. To, to think to think of uh, them boiling it down to ten minutes would be like I feel like they wouldn't have the room to breathe. Yeah, it's kind of like it's it's like suggesting plastic surgery on your ideal partner. It's like why why would I want to change anything here? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty decent comparison actually. I'm sorry. I've just been telling Empty Sam she should get plastic surgery a lot lately. It's on the mind. Um, Is she there with you right now? She's in the other room. I, I want to bring her down to my level. People look at me funny when we're walking around. They're like, dude, how? And I want them to be like, dude, that makes sense. So so the plastic surgery you would enact on your life partner would be to, to lower her, her physical good looks. Peter, bring her down to my level, yeah. She's always going to be beautiful to me because of who she is, but I want people to, to think she's less out of my league. She could just also shave her head. <laughs> she could shave her head, but she couldn't be balding in a shaved head like I am. Like, it's... I've, I've buzzed it, but the top is so thinning that when I, like... You know when you walk past a building with, like, big glass? You, you check yourself out in the reflection. Everybody does oh, that. Oh, of course. I, I do that, and at a glance, even though my hair is growing back out, it looks like I'm totally bald up top. It's so thin but the hair on the sides is thick enough. It's visibly there. I, I feel like I'm walking past Brian Husky every time I walk past a big panel of glass. I, I don't know who that is. He's a great comedian. I'm getting us a little bit off topic, but the 11-minute episode format, I think it's super widespread today. It's really, really common. Back at this time, I can't say from, uh, from research, but I think it's a little less common. I kind of like that they tried it here, and I like that we have this variety. As I'm watching this, even though it's scrappy, even though Fred and Velma are missing, I'm thinking, you know what, this is exciting. This is fun. This is fresh. And, uh, I, I mean, we're, we're sort of going to wrap up the analysis portion of this episode. Um, but the fact that it is 10 minutes and it's a mystery, I think, was the big thing that sort of the hurdle that you and I both had to overcome. Because for there to be a mystery, you have mm. to introduce the premise. You have to introduce characters, some of whom will be red herrings, and then clues, and then capturing the monster. Um, so with so many s steps, in that tight time frame, some of the steps need to be reduced significantly, um, which I think is one of the things. You can't have a, a whole wide cast of characters, any of whom the monster could feasibly be, in, in such a short episode. Granted, they did some exciting things with it here that I think were successful in part, um, but it's, not, it's harder to, to introduce that many people in a 20-minute episode. Then again, I think back to some 20-minute episodes we've seen of Scooby-Doo where there were not only just, like, one potential culprit, but no culprits. They just, they just pulled the mask off the, at the end, and you're like, oh, that's someone we've never met before. 
I think what you're referring to was an actual like 44 minute episode <laughs> what am i <laughs> that's right <laughs> w- which makes it that much more egregious like it's so much worse i've forgotten it was 44 minutes i'm referring to the globetrotters episode that we did not too long ago where the villain had not shown up at any point in the episode it's at a certain point we were watching it thinking it was going to be a globetrotter who was the villain of course it wasn't but uh, they in the first episode we're going to see here i think it does a great job of giving you a pretty complete mystery in a very short period of time. The second episode, we'll talk a little bit more about that. That one, I, I think, also deserves some time. Uh, yeah, and without further ado, let us, uh, let's cover the first half, which is, uh, the creature came from ChemLab. Mm-hmm. I have trouble saying this title for some reason. I want to say the creature that came from the ChemLab, or ChemLab creature. Do you remember, this is what Chem makes me think of is uh dear dear listeners luke used to have these jokes that he would tell in which he would break down like the etymology of a word but not really he you're already being too generous with etymology like that's a that's a ten dollar word and i don't deserve it luke would turn to me in class and he'd be like all right there's there's a dwarf there's it's there's there are always dwarves um in in like the the fantastical like like mythological sense there's a dwarf and um he his name is his is Kem, and he's friends with a or like he knows a wizard, and I guess he slights the wizard somehow. It's hard for me to sit and listen as you butcher a brilliant, brilliant joke of mine. <laughs> would you rather Would you rather tell it to I'm, our listeners? I'm afraid that at this point I now have to step in and tell this joke. Please which do. Is I that, would love nothing more. I, there's, for some reason, you're right. There always there always was a dwarf involved. I don't know why. <laughs> I, to this day, don't know why I did that. I guess I was really into Willow and Warwick Davis back in the day. But, so there's this, oh man, I'm really playing it by ear now. Uh, there is this dwarf um, whose name is Kem, and he has a, the part that you forgot is that there's always a dyslexic <laughs> or speech impedimented friend. And he's got a, a friend with a speech impediment. Um who and and they're both playing around in this wizard's garden and they knock over one of the wizard's like pod plants and it crashes and so the wizard curses Kem and turns him into a a giant tree and his and Kem's friend who's again has a speech impediment says Kem is tree <laughs> I got a laugh from the other room that's two laughs <laughs> and that's I, I guess I made jokes that were like narrative like little narratives to get to a pun that didn't have to anything to do with the narrative really. it was just because we were sitting in chemistry or something and like what our listeners need to realize is how many of these jokes you ended up telling like there were so many of them it came back around and it was hilarious because i did enough of them <laughs> like you're someone who's going about like the countryside setting like a blaze to uh the buildings and this uh, uh mister Milburn! Because <laughs> we had a gym teacher named Mr. Milburn at the time. And that was a joke said in his class. And I think, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but while I did those jokes in high school, did you, <clears throat> could you see it coming from a mile away? When I was like... It, These eventually, eventually the setup was clear. As soon as um, I said, hey, so there's, as soon as I started telling a story. Yeah, because you normally didn't have these little vignettes to share. Un- no, unless you had a really bad joke that you wanted to, to tell me. I should have just done everything in vignettes. That's what could have disguised it. Um, so we want to keep this episode tight. Maybe I'll do another one of those towards the end to uh, 
reward our listeners for their attention. But we should get to the creature came from Chem Lab. It's actually like it's it, what we were describing. Um, that was our friendship several several years ago. Uh, we were still in high school, and as it would happen, um, this episode takes place at Hillside High. Uh, specifically, it opens up um, in the gym area where the cheerleaders are uh, ma- cheering for their cheering for their school. Yeah, and you know this place is called Hillside High. And you did quite well, I think, in English writing and other spelling-related disciplines. These cheerleaders might not have that quality to them. Did you hear the chant that they were doing? Uh, there was a give me an H. It was one of those. It was, you know, like... Give me an H. Give me an I. Give me an L. Give me an L. Give me an S. Give me an I. Give me an S. Give me an I. Give me a D. Give me an E. Hillside. <laughs> You know what? As I was listening, I was like, did they say S too many times? They said it twice and I twice. It's Hillside. It's like they were trying to spell, like, halfway through their chant, they uh, forgot how to spell Mississippi. M I S S I S S I S S I S I S S I S S I P P I. There's that one Gwen Stefani song where she says, it's bananas. And I will always remember it. Because one time my brother was singing it and he said, um, it's bananas, B-A-N-A-S, which is just <laughs> bananas. <Banas. laughs> Even as he said B-A-N-A-S, I was like, yeah, is that not, is that not right? B-A-N-A-N-A-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. <laughs> so, uh, there's a fun little gag where, like, there's a janitor just off to the side, and he's cheering with them. And I guess the joke there is, full-grown men should not do what young female high school age cheerleaders do i thought the joke was that he's cheering along with them and behind him we see a door that says chem lab on it and this is almost always sunny-ish in that we just saw the title card the creature came from chem lab chem lab and he's dancing so happy and school spirity out in front of it i've i've seen so little it's always sunny but that remains my favorite part of like i love that gag I would love to see that in Scooby-Doo, actually. I think it's just very... It's always funny. It is a bit of a reverse, because it always cuts from the gag to the title card in that case, whereas here, the title card precedes the gag. But I do think the gag works really well, in that, of course, we see the the creature bust out of a chem lab and scare the janitor. Can we describe the creature just, like, in, like, ten seconds or less? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the creature from the uh, the Black Lagoon. It's it's green. It looks like it's covered in moss. It's got green crab claw hands or yeah, lobster like claws. Yeah, like pincer-like crab Pincers. claws. Sure. Yeah, it's got, like, a little blob mouth, and uh, one eye is pinched closed. The other eye is wide open. And, oh, man, hang on. What color was the sclera of his eye? <laughs> you know what? There's a place I can check for that. <laughs> I would direct all of our listeners to the Scooby-Doo Wikia. Yeah, Please go ahead. And this the Scooby Wiki is lacking in some ways. It's overabundant with information with other ways in other ways. But one thing you can always count on this Wikia to do, as Evan and I discovered partway through the week this last week, is to list the sclera color of every possible character and monster. No joke, every entry. They, they will say like the hair color of the monster, and then the eye color, and then also the color of the sclera. The sclera, Me- meaning like the the area around the pupil. It's um. So wait, did you look it up just now? Can you tell us what the sclera of the monster is? 
It's a yellow sclera. I can tell because I'm looking at it, but also because the wikia tells me. And I'm not joking, it's every single possible instance they can list this. They'll also list occupation where possible, and species, and gender. I will say, one point against this is that they gender all of the, uh, all of the monsters which I think are pretty androgynous by and large. It does. Once you get, once you're monstrous enough, I think it's, it's impossible to determine. And it's kind of unfair to say like, oh, this thing is just a big, gross, nasty blob male. That is the trend that takes place. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, it's not wrong, but it hurts. Um, and that's, that's my 10 seconds going on three minutes description of the creature. So uh, what happens is the, the monster comes out, it scares the janitor, it then scares everybody in the gym, um, and we hear someone yell out, it's the creature from Chem Lab, run for your lives! Um, which, I don't know, it's, it's a bit of a mouthful, given that it's, it's moniker someone else conceived. It's the creature from Chem Lab. Especially since he, he like enters the gym, not directly from the Chem Lab. He like walks through another door, so they... He must have come by before. This isn't the first time we've seen him, I think. And, you know, this would be a good time as we cut to uh, Daphne, Shaggy, and the dogs to describe the specific setup we have in this series. Yeah, so the setup is basically that um, they're, they're not Mystery Incorporated as such. They're, they are still driving the Mystery Machine around the United States. Um, but they have the cover of being sort of, I guess, like investigative journalists. Yeah, reporters for a teen magazine is how I recall we described it last time. And as you said now, it's a cover. That's not what they're really doing. They're just investigating mysteries, pretending to be invest like reporters. And it, it's a little, it's, it's weird that they would need the cover because ostensibly they would also need to like write articles or, or something. Yeah, or show some kind of publication. Like if you did this today, people would immediately want to see your website. And maybe they've got the uh, the 1970s version of that, but it's weird because they do they set up they acknowledge in this little setup they have in this specific episode, yeah we're here to report or to investigate this uh, monster we heard about here, but there's no indication that there's something else underneath it, which they built in initially, or at least Wikipedia will tell us is a factor. Yeah, in this case, um, they they do arrive at Hillside High, uh, and this blonde high school student comes up and says, oh. Uh, famous reporter, cousin Daphne Blake. Yeah, she really, uh, really defines herself relative to that. Um, and what did you think of her voice or her accent? Um, I wrote down Valley Girl, but that's not right. It's, it's more, um, it was more of the era than it was of, like, a certain area, geographical area, I think. Initially, I thought British, and then I thought Valley Girl, and then I also felt that that didn't quite capture it. Kind of a swooping way that she, like, uh, talked to Daphne, like, it had some of that, like, airheaded upward inflections. Yeah, and I, I think that was just, like, the 70s or 80s or whatever. That was just kind of, like, the... Maybe it was kind of West Coast a little bit. I want to say hippy-dippy, which is a term I use a lot, but maybe it's just because of the dippiness of the voice. Like, mmm, 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 But it's Jennifer. It's Daphne's cousin. Uh, so she, she basically tells them that... Uh, about this monster, which I guess is why they're there already. Like, they're there to report on this monster. Yeah. Um, she, she thinks it's tubular that they're there to, to come help out with this, which is a word Scooby doesn't understand, even though he's dressed in a, uh, a very collegiate, I guess high schoolish turtleneck sweater. Uh, so, while Jenny is talking to uh, our cast of characters, um, a new, another person shows up. His name is Toby. And I wrote... I wrote 
in my notes that Toby was definitely Asian, but maybe he isn't, and he, they just drew him a certain way. I I can't tell. He he looks like the kind of guy who would who could be like a romantic interest in a like seventies or eighties movie, but would be the ugly villain today. <laughs> yeah, like like I think they drew him to be like conventionally attractive, but the conventions of the time were different. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't describe him as ugly right after you describe him as Asian. <laughs> he could be an ugly Asian guy. <laughs> you I thought think... he was Asian? I thought he was just ugly. He has like a weird face. But I think like he does... his, his eyes and his hair are such that it led me to lean in that direction. Well like he it he's got uh, kind of the, the the thin eyes and yeah like the the hair is very I could see that. But he's got like this kind of blockish jaw and uh and chin that look almost like evil butlerish. Toby has a very br- a brutish face. Brutish face is is the word. That's a good term for it. Um, and and he says that unfortunately the uh, the dance that's coming up is going to be canceled because of this effing creature, which really sucks because Jennifer's looking forward to it. Maybe even because she could see Toby at the dance because he does call her babe as he and, walks away. And she swoons. And she swoons into Scooby's arms. And that's Scooby for you, always on the sidelines. Nice guys finish last. Um, <laughs> I'm getting a middle finger from my wife for that one. <laughs> why would she? You're not nice. <laughs> he says I'm not nice. <laughs> why would she do that? You're not nice. <laughs> I, I told Empty Sam the other day, I was, we were talking about the whole nice guys finish last and why don't nice guys ever get the girl and i was like yeah i had that perspective in high school i was a lonely bitter man at one point bitter boy actually so that's that's the judgment i'm getting it's funny we've we've made that exact same joke on this podcast before <laughs> have we but it was it was the other way around we were talking about nice guys and then you're like but evan you're not nice <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't apply to you oh. Um, so we've introduced the premise. The, the, the gang's here to, or the, the pared-down version of the gang is here to investigate this creature, um, which might be canceling the dance. This is a world-endingly terrible event. If, if you're in high school, dances were kind of like a hashtag big deal. And if it's, if it's a big one that you were especially looking forward to, it sucks that this social event um, where you get to dress up, which is like rare for high schoolers, and you get to like hang out with your attractive peers, it's like, yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, it's like the one outlet for you to exp- like vent your sexuality to in any capacity, in any degree. Like to hang out and like dance with people of the opposite gender and to express your interest. And once that opportunity is gone, or if that's going to pass you by, it feels like you'll never have that chance. To certain people, I am, I imagine. Um, we also hear uh, that the creature only comes out at night. It was definitely in the daytime initially. <laughs> I. I think because it was a basketball game going on, I think it was probably in the evening. We, we see an outside shot, so it might have been in the evening, but uh, it was definitely daylight. It must be summer solstice. Yeah. We were introduced then to the next, I guess, sort of like, the, the next character uh, who it might be. And I guess the first two characters who it might be are Jenny and... Um, Toby's face. Toby. Yeah. Well, so already we've and got two characters. That's one good thing here, and we're about to introduce a third who could potentially be the monster... That's a, that's a decent cast for an 11-minute episode. And this character's name is Professor Marston, who just looks like, I guess, like a high school chem teacher. He looks like John Marston to me. He looks like he belongs uh, riding out around in the Red Dead Wasteland. <laughs> John Marston. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what I thought, but this is not that kind of guy. He's a real 
uh, stodgy old professor type. And you know what he says? He says he's glad the dance might get canceled because the students should be studying, not dancing up on each other. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's ridiculous. He's, uh, he, he, they go to the chem lab because that's where the monster always originates from, which I think, mm-hmm. if anything, makes this easier. Because if the monster always comes from the chem lab, the school should just have people watching the chem lab at all times because there's yeah. only one point of origin. You could solve this with, yeah, one, one person and a chair outside of the chem lab. That's it. Uh, but prof- or like a sign-in, sign-out sheet outside of the chem lab, <laughs> which you should have anyway. Like, as we go in there, there's all sorts of beakers with all these fluids and things. It's pretty cool. As, as you were saying, Professor Marsden thinks the students should be doing homework. And he's also like a cartoon villain in that when he makes his uh, leave of them, he says that he needs to make a quiz he needs to write a quiz and he wants to make it the hardest one yet and then i wrote he laughs wickedly he does it's it's so they're trying to set him up so aggressively as this evil evil guy in the from the perspective of high schoolers which who is pers- uh prospectively the ideal demographic or the upper end of the scooby-doo demographic at this time um in the background throughout all of this there's like a little just to keep stuff like when, when it's exposition-y or when people are talking a lot, typically Scooby will be doing, like, a visual gag in the background. Just so that, I guess, like, younger audiences are like, oh, it's still funny. It's not just words. Um, and it's just, just to describe it very quickly, first there's a frog that licks him. So he licks the frog. And you're right. The frog licks Scooby. Scooby licks the frog back. Scooby hallucinates wildly for the remainder of the episode and goes on a crazy bender. Uh, I was going to make that joke. Um, oh shoot! I'm so sorry. No, it's it's fine. Uh, Scooby. I was afraid we were moving past it. Ends up opening the cage, uh, and what I can only describe as a literal plague of frogs, like like an Exodusian Old Testament style like plague of frogs, uh, emits from this box. Yeah, it's like a fire hose of frogs, and I assume this much was the hallucination, along with the remainder of the episode. That we've got a uh, a story within a story type view, and they just keep flowing out of this cage and out the window as well it's yeah it's, it's ludicrous um and this isn't the first time we've had this kind of gag either i'm pretty sure anytime we're in a lab or something like that scooby will release some kind or have an interaction with another animal in the lab yeah i believe it, the last time it happened was um the first episode of mystery incorporated that was a squirrel at the time i think that showed teeth to him didn't it or was it an actual a frog as well i think it might have been a frog as well because it was oh. also a high school like chem lab uh, situation yeah, Chekhov's frog. Uh, and and the other thing that happens just while we're on that scene is that they find a clue on the ground, uh, and Daphne says that it's uh, it looks like the creature's skin, and then she's going to investigate this piece of I guess flesh because it's thick. Yeah, I think she says like I need to go get this analyzed or something, and I guess it it makes sense visually because they're in a place with all these beakers and all this like um, all this chemistry science stuff, but apparently they're she's going to take the CSI portion of that lab. And she asks Scooby and Shaggy to go investigate, I think, the gym, because that's where the creature was seen last. And the thing about Scooby and Shaggy walking up to the gym that really, really threw me is that Shaggy's walking up like normal, and Scooby is walking next to him, but on his hind legs like a person. They're going towards the gym to investigate, and right as they're about to walk into the gym, we hear that bell ring. And they're not so much saved by the bell as squished by the bell, because a, uh, a horde of students emerges from the gym trampling them effectively i guess it's to scooby's benefit that he was on his hind legs because if he had been on all fours i i assume the damage would have been 
much much worse oh you know you're probably right about that they thought he was a that they, they didn't crush him as bad and uh shaggy makes a a quip as they're lying on the ground like oh man gotta watch out for that bell or that bell really got us or something about the bell uh, i mean there 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 is never really any room for any like musical chase scenes in the new scooby and scrappy doo show um we do have a very short segment in the gym true. Uh, where they sort of use like um, gymnastics equipment to like get both get near and get away from the monster, and it culminates in um it culminates in the monster chasing them into a laundry room of sorts. At which point, Scrappy pushes a laundry cart at the monster, which like flings it like out a window. Yeah, and he says "pup pup puppy power" ahead of time, which makes you think he's gonna get up his dukes. Oh, wait, no, he does that before they run in, and then they, they grab him back out. But he does, Scrappy does some th- something effective by wheeling this laundry cart at them. And I think it's weird that they don't make a bigger deal out of the fact that this monster was thrown out a window. I, I don't think they're on the first floor. Maybe they are. I I, th- I think it's because he, he falls into a bunch of, like, tree branches. It's that kind of thing where we assume he's fine because he hits enough branches on the way down. <laughs> As the creature fa- like flies back and falls out the window, he drops a giant floppy disk, which at the time was the equivalent of a micro SD card. But, but here, it, it looks like it looks like an actual like vinyl record. Like that's how big it yeah. is. Yes, it looks like a, a save file blown up, like that that save icon, but huge. And uh, and Daphne goes to the computer lab to go check that out. Scooby and Shaggy peel off because they smell something coming from the home economics room. And home ec and is... Th- that's something I feel like we could talk about on its own. Home ec? Did you ever do home ec? We didn't have home ec in our high school. Which is too bad because I feel like this is one of the most valuable classes that could be offered. We had a home ec class in fifth grade. Um, and we just, I guess, learned how to cook a few things and that was it. And don't they, don't they also do taxes and other, like general life skills i mean not in fifth grade i guess not in fifth grade that makes sense but to my understanding that's part of what's covered in home economics here it's definitely the cooking portion that they're they're looking at so i i glossed over their um interaction with the monster in the gym very quickly but this is even less important um because because they spend like valuable screen time uh jenny says there's no food they go in to get food after being trampled once again by the students and she says, oh, do the dishes for me. And they're, so they're saddled with that. And they spend, like, valuable minutes with Scooby just washing the dishes, albeit extremely skillfully. He, he does it skillfully and beautifully, almost like an expert uh, magician handling a deck of cards. He's flinging these plates around and help making them land stacked in the perfect spots. But like you said, it's valuable time. It's at least a minute, maybe a minute and a half, that serves nothing. Like, the... Does the monster even show up in that scene? He he does right at the end. But like if, if it if it is a minute, that's like ten to almost ten percent of this episode that it is does not go towards anything. It's not even a particularly funny gag. It's just a dog that is good at washing dishes. And it, it doesn't even tie in with the dishes. Like you'd think the creature would be uh doing something to interact with them through the home economics uh, through that setting. But they're, they're really not. The, the only thing that happens is that the creature hands uh, Scooby a plate. They freak out. Scooby and Shaggy try and run out, but the door they try and go through has an ironing board in it, and then they can't go through that door. That's, that's the entire home economics gag. Um, and then uh, uh, Shaggy's like, 
Like, gee, Scoob, we should have gone with Daphne to the computer room. I My voice is not at its best today. That's um, still pretty good. Still better than I do. Pretty but at shaggy. which point, the creature, like, turns around, ostensibly to run to the computer lab. Yeah, it, the creature, like, pulls a face as if to say, oh, shoot, I need to get to the computer lab and uh, or the computer room and books it out. And uh, Scooby and Shaggy acknowledge that. They say, oh, he ran away as soon as we said the computer room. A lot of... A lot of their mystery solving is so like on the nose and like obvious in in this show particularly it's it's pretty blunt but i do like this episode i think we're gonna enjoy the mystery when we we finally get to unravel that last thread i like this moment here simply because they say the computer room and then the monster runs off and then they say the <laughs> shaggy's like he ran away as soon as we said the computer room he must be after daphne and scooby says the computer room shaggy we need to get to the computer room <laughs> i say it like four more times they do actually. They do say computer room a lot. At, at some points, I can't tell if it's a joke or not, but it was really funny to me. Uh, we open up on the computer room, and Daphne is put in the disc, and Scrappy tells her, uh, Look, Daphne, it's Star Puppy, the world's most popular video game. What? If you had to compare this game to another game, what do you, what do you think it's similar to? It was such a short... It wasn't on screen for very long. All we see is a like little yellow silhouette that could be a silhouette of Scrappy on the screen, follow a, a very short snake-like dotted line uh, path, and that's it. So like Pac-Man-esque, ostensibly? I'd say maybe like Pac-Man, maybe like Snake. Whatever it is, I don't think this is literally the best game at the time, but Scrappy is way into it, and he, uh, he immediately starts playing this video game. So um, Professor Marsden barges in, and he kicks them out, because again, the computer room. You can't be here in the computer room. Yeah, he busts in. <laughs> he says the computer room a bunch of times, and he takes the game away from them. He says, I'll take that from you, please. So Mr. Marston looks guilty AF, like so guilty. To the point where Daphne says after being uh, ousted um, or evicted from the computer room, uh, isn't it strange that mean Professor Marston would show up instead of the creature? Yeah, because Scooby and Shaggy show up and they tell him, hey, the monster's on its way here. And they're like, no, no, only Mr. Mar Marston came. So I don't know what the, the deal is with that. Mr. Marston, even if he's not guilty, he's almost trying to look guilty. Like, if someone's murdered, you don't start talking smack about that person. Like, I'm glad they were murdered. Man, I'm glad somebody stepped up and did that. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> like, at least keep your tongue. Don't look guiltier than you have to, even if you didn't do it. So then uh, they're being chased by the monster again. Um, and I, I'm going to kill, hopefully, a very small amount of minutes um, right now in saying that the, the, he, it chases them into a locker room, and uh, Scooby is inside one of, the, uh, one of the lockers. You can see his eyes th through the slats. Mm -hmm. and he's... We can even hear his little doggy whimpers as he's so oh, scared. Can you, you do that for us? Because I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> Um, and, and the monster is, like, reaching towards the locker. And it made me think of, um, you know, the game, like, Amnesia, The Dark Descent? Ooh. That's a... I had a different thought, but I do know that game. I don't know this moment. It's it's just, like, a very uh, popular, like, horror trope, which they implemented into the game, I think, to great effect, which is that when you're running away from the monster, you can run into, um, I guess, like, a closet and close the door, and then you can see through the slats and just... When you're, I think when you're playing hide-and-seek, you experience something very similar, 
when the person who's looking for you comes and they're like less than a foot away from you like their face but they can't see you it's terrifying it's so scary and i thought of space jam where newman is in the uh, locker and the monsters find him and then he gets <laughs> beaten up that's uh, a less dramatic version of it but also related to the sports thing here the monster does hear scooby's little <laughs> and and uh, is about to fling open the locker door when we have the very rare one-man Scooby-Doop. It's also... Uh, okay, uh, I'm not going to say his name. The person who wanted us to do analysis hates it when we talk about the Scooby-Doop. But for our potential new listeners, the Scooby-Doop is typically enacted by Scooby and Shaggy in which they create uh, a situation in which the social pressures are so great that the monster is forced to comply with them. Yeah, basically they, they start doing a gag or a bit where they pretend to be... Uh, people that make sense in this setting and the monster has to go along with their gag it's weird to see scooby do it on its own and because he's doing it on its own i think it's not very successful like like let me give you one example let's say that the monster's in the locker room and then scooby and shaggy come out from like the showers and they're like they're wearing like their towels around their necks and like nothing else and there's like huge black sensor bars <laughs> gosh <laughs> this is not the example i imagined and they start like flicking their towels at the monster. They start rat. I thought you were gonna say they start rat tailing each other, and the black bars start swinging and wobbling as they're snapped. No, they start like uh, whipping the monster, and they're like, "Hey, bro, like, like, why does it take you so long to get in the showers? You, you, you afraid? Like, you ashamed yeah. or something? You smell grody, bro. Get in the shower." And the monster, like, I guess is uh, ashamed of its. In physical inadequacies so it like very shamelessly shamefully like like maybe it has a towel around its waist and it's like walking to the shower like like facing its body away from Scooby and Shaggy but as you went into that bit I thought you were gonna say like Scooby and Shaggy walk out with their towels normally around their waists and the monster like hey good game right bro you mind if we get changed and they like whip off the towels and start like putting one leg high up on a bench and drying off and there's like censored <laughs> pixelated bars and the monster's just like like i am when i go to the gym and backs away extremely uncomfortable so so the whole point is again it has to be a situation in which the monster buys in and i think the problem with this scooby-doop is that the monster doesn't buy in yeah that's why i say it's unsuccessful scooby and, and what the scooby-doop is here is that scooby barrels out of the locker dressed in full football gear or at least full football gear on the top, and kind of like charges out with the football, hikes it back to himself. He like runs back and catches this ball that he threw to himself and then passes it off to the monster. The monster should, if it was successful, then act like he's also in this football scene. And maybe he runs in the opposite direction because like he has to score a touchdown. Yeah, but uh, he doesn't. Scooby, I mean, Scooby just takes off as soon as he's passed off the football, but the monster just uses his claw hands to pop the ball. So... It's this doesn't lead into another extended chase scene. Basically, what happens is you know how in high schools the bell, like when the bell rings to uh, signal that a class is over or that it's recess or lunch. Yeah, Scooby and Shaggy have gotten trampled twice thanks to that bell. Uh, you know how in high schools, the the way that they set off that bell is they have a button and it's just on the wall in like a locker room. Typically, it's in the locker room. Like whenever class is about to <laughs> to to stop, the teacher will say like, hey. Hey, Jimmy, go to the locker room, hit the bell in two minutes. 
<laughs> you need a, that's what the hall monitor does it's in with those responsibilities and it's it's not like there's like a it's not like there's a fire alarm-esque cover over it it is just a, a button on the wall it's one li- yeah one little button that gets pretty grimy as well and because it's in a men's locker room it just says bell above it yeah <laughs> and that's what scooby's basically pinned to the wall trapped by the monster uh, next to this bell, and we see Shaggy and Daphne looking on, kind of in horror, hiding in their own separate lockers. And all I could think of there is that Shaggy sat idly by and watched as Scooby did the Scooby Doop on his own. Like that's oh, that felt bad. <laughs> it's pretty messed up, actually. A real betrayal of trust there. Like especially because Scooby's failing to do this on his own. He's like. It's like watching a one-man improv scene where there should be two people on the stage. Like, he's hiking the football to himself and catching it, and that's the reason the creature doesn't buy it. It, w- it, would, be like, it would be like us starting the video call to host this podcast, but one of us just remains silent for the entirety of the recording. <laughs> the other one doesn't quite acknowledge, like, just tries to not put any blame on the other person. Just like, oh, that's uh, good silence, Evan. Um, let me see, what else do we think about this? So, but the bell, the, the bell is rung, uh, and students uh, they trample the monster, and that's how they catch him, and they pull off the mask. And I'm not gonna lie, I actually did still think it was Professor Marsden they, for like, it, really, from the first interaction with Professor Marsden, I thought this really seems like it's gonna be Marsden. I can't imagine it's gonna be someone else. There's two other people it could be. Could be Jennifer. Could be Toby. They've really invested a lot into Professor Marsden in a way that you almost think he can't be the red herring. Yeah, it just he's he's such a cruel person. And it is it is Toby Wallace. Yeah, it's not Marston. It's a it was a pretty good red herring setup, but was Toby a good villain? What what, what was his deal? Well, Daphne is sort of plays the Velma of this episode in which she's like, "Oh, it's just as I expected. They let we'll check his locker and this will confirm my suspicions." And they check his locker and it's just full of video games, and I will name them right now. What? Um, there's video vibes. Uh, there's Super Dupers, there's uh, Electro Selectro, there's the uh, the very on-the-nose Beat the Monster. <laughs> Beat the Monster, that's the second most popular video game in the world! Uh, there's Spark Arc, and there's Gamma Game. Gamma Game, man, good eye! Normally I zoom in on those details. That's, uh, that's pretty great. I didn't even realize those, any of those were listed. It turns out that Toby Wallace was, was a pioneer of sorts. Yeah. Is the the thing that he was doing was something I didn't realize was done until years and years later. But he's pirating video games and selling them illegally. Like he's using the school's computer room facilities to copy video games and sell them illegally for money. Yeah, and so that's he and he just he dressed up as the monster to scare people away from his uh from his little um setup or operation. One thing that I found super notable about this, and we're just going to wrap this up because we need to do the next half, is that, um, uh, what's his name again? Toby? Toby says in kind of a mournful voice, but I needed the money. And we never know what he needed it for. And that's, that's the thing. If he had said like, oh, I need the money to buy like a new 10 speed or something, then you, or like, I really wanted to like take Jennifer to the, out to a nice dinner. Um, and why'd you like me? Yeah, you'd, you'd be like, well, F you, Toby, you're a bad person. But we never hear that second line. It could have been just as plausibly, but I need the money. You know, like, my mom... <laughs> my mom's uh, in the she's hospital. A, my mom, she's either she's either hitting the bottle or she's hitting her kids. <laughs> um, I need to take my siblings away. 
<laughs> no, that's absolutely what the second line sounds like. But Jenny cuts him off. She she just says like, "Oh yeah, you like greedy son of a gun, go rot in jail, or juvie or whatever." It like it's that second line could have been anything. Could have been so sympathetic, but we don't even give him that chance. Um, it obviously ends with the dance. Uh, everything's back to normal, I think Daphne says. And then um, Professor Marsden, uh, the the stuck-up conservative man that he is, says, Oh, that normal? And it's... Uh, we pan over You call to, that normal? Yeah. We pan over to, uh, to Jennifer and Scooby dancing together. Which is a good thing, because prior to that, we'd, we panned around, we'd seen a couple background... There's a lot of background actors in this episode. Pretty great. And there are background actors of color. Also pretty great. Um, I was afraid that Jenny was just going to be dancing with a person of color. <laughs> when we panned over there. You call that normal? Dude, Marston, you're the monster. But no, she's, she's dancing with Scooby. And actually, I have some sympathy for Mr. Marston here. I don't know, what was your reaction to this? Um, my, well, my reaction was, in a lot of, this was like more of a trope back in the day. But like, they would go to a dance... And then someone would like come up with a new dance, sort of based on whatever uh, occurred in the narrative to get them to that place. In this case, it's the monster. Yeah, we need to make a comparison here to one of my all-time favorite films, A Goofy Movie, um, which I think had the ultimate version of this, where the the perfect uh, fishing throw became... Yeah, the perfect cast. The perfect cast um, became that hit dance move with... What was the guy's name? Oh, shoot. The guy that Max really likes listening to. Yeah, Zap or something? Brannigan. No, that's Futurama. Um, <laughs> that's not that. I'll put that in the show notes. I will also... Um, and I will also put in the show notes, because I did not do the research and I want to finish up this episode. I, Scooby does, like, a monster dance in which he puts his hands up, and Jenny's like, oh, this is so groovy, like, the monster dance, the creature dance. Um, but it looks just like Thriller. Say again? It look, it's essentially Thriller. Well... Thriller is still a cool dance move. What Scooby does, does is he puts his arms up, kind of like zombie arms, but they he doesn't even go... He goes... Like a rabid dog. And at this point, I think, okay, Mr. Marston, I get... Like, there's a dog on its hind legs growling and, and baring its teeth at one of the girls, like, presumably the prom queen. Scooby's dance move is kind of threatening to me, simply because he's a dog going... It's not a cool dance move. I swear, every time you do that, I think you're going to do that. Uh, the Australian guy? The Australian man. <laughs> I need to get Ifty Sam right here so I can do it in her face. <laughs> okay, so that was part one. And I think yeah, I think we can both say, right off the bat, we both really liked it. I thought it was a good episode. I thought, it, as I said initially, I think it really did a good job of exploring the setting that they had at hand. And uh, I think it was a good... Mr. Marston was a great red herring. That Toby was pirating these video games was really kind of weird to hear in this day and age where that's a big thing. And I didn't imagine it even existed back then. Uh, and, and as a last thing, I really like the way they caught the monster because they foreshadowed it. And that's not... They foreshadowed it twice. Th- that's not common in Scooby-Doo. No, it was very neat. This first episode felt very neatly written. The next episode we're going to talk about was very ambitious but I don't think was a successful. Um, the next episode is called, uh, and it took me a long time to nail this down, uh, No Thanks, Mac- Masked Manx. Yeah, it's this second episode title was kind of confusing. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. Let's let, let's critique it once we get into it. There's too much I, I want to say at the front end. To, it'll, it'll prevent us from from actually getting the blow by blow. So if you don't mi mind, I will just I'll run through this setup very quickly, um, which is that uh, they're on vacation. It is the four of them, the two dogs, uh, Daphne and Sh Shaggy, um, and they're excited. They're going to for like a summer vacation. Uh, they're reading a newspaper that turns out that in this area, there is um, someone named the Masked Manx who has been robbing mansions. Uh, he always leaves behind a calling card, which is an ace of spades. They drive up to a very large mansion uh, with a sign that says Blake Manor. And it turns out that Blake's father garnered his fortune through selling bubble bath. Uh, there's a little uh, jingle, Blake's bubble bath, billowing bubbles for a bountiful bath. Um, so she's rich. Yep. And it doesn't say on the Scooby Wiki, but presumably at this point, it's already been established that Daphne comes from money. Uh, we've talked about that previously on the podcast. So this is her family's giant wealthy manor. And but there is some extravagant wealth on display in here as we're going to get into. Just to, to talk about the masked Manx, because we get an indication of him. What do we imagine initially he's going to look like or she's going to look like? When I think masked Manx... And I've never played this game before, but I imagine Sly Cooper. I've never played that either. But isn't Sly Cooper like a raccoon or something? Yes. Okay, so that's, it's definitely not that. But um, a Manx, I, I had to look it up, it's a cat with slightly elongated hind legs and a, a naturally occurring very short or non-existent tail. Um, kind of uh, comes from the Isle of Man. So that's what a Manx is. That's what, for me, I'm kind of expecting. I'm expecting something like a cat, maybe like the cat creature we saw in an older episode. Yeah, when I looked up the word Manx, it just said someone who comes from the Isle of Man, which I don't think needs to look like anything in particular. Yeah, I and mean, there is a people group, the Manx people, who I, I couldn't really get a, a, a tight, concise answer on that, so I don't want to speculate about a people group, but there is a cat called the Manx Cat, who I thought we were dealing with here, and maybe it would also be wearing a mask, like the Manx of the Opera or something like that. We'll get to what the Manx, who the Manx is later, but that's kind of my anticipation. That's what I'm waiting for. They they go up to uh, they go up to the mansion, and unlike the mansion that Shaggy's uncle bequeathed him in um, Shaggy and Scooby Doo Get a Clue, uh, what opens is not a robot butler, but a human question mark butler with very pallid skin and uh, we talked about toby's brutish face before this could be toby's ugly father <laughs> he, he does he is very brutish and very gaunt he he looks like a it's weird he he has a voice like lurch from the adams family but he's so uh, like scrawny. He's like thin and he's not an Igor type because he's not hunched or anything. He's got like good posture. It's just kind of his skin tone and his expression that makes him look mm, scary. And Scooby he, is scary. He's by like him Lurch. Like if Lurch never hit the gym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Lurch light. Um, so Scooby and Shaggy run away from the butler, Klaus, uh, who they think is very frightening, and they run into a gorilla. And apparently that gorilla, well, it pulls its head off. Yeah, and then blood spurts out of the stump where its head was, and it falls over. And we're in the beginning of a Westworld-type horror movie where everything is a robot, and it all... I don't know what I'm getting at here. No, it's, it's Velma's... Excuse me. It's Daphne's father, Mr. Blake himself. What's his full name? It's, apparently it's not stated. Okay. Apparently we only find out her mother's name. What's her mother's name? 
It's Elizabeth. Elizabeth Blake. So Elizabeth explains that they have a big masked ball coming up. Uh, or not so much a masked ball, but like a costume ball. And she says like one of my favorite lines in the whole episode. Oh, oh uh, you must be dear little Scrimpy. <laughs> then S- Scrappy replies with one of my favorite epi- lines in the episode. It's Scrappy, ma'am. <laughs> like, so polite. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. It's Scrappy. Yeah, it, it was very, it was actually pretty cute, but Scrimpy, Scrimpy it, it, is just a really funny name. I love her saying Scrappy's name wrong. Scrappy gets some kind of shade thrown his way this episode. They, they all go to put on different costumes, and Scrappy's like listing off the various things that he wants to be, the first two of which I really like. So he wants to be a pirate. Good. I think that's cool. He wants to be a cowboy. I also think that's cool. He wants to I be think he'd a... make a better parrot than a pirate, but yeah. He wants to be a prize fighter, which I don't really care about. Yeah. But it turns out since Scrappy is so diminutive, there's only one costume that fits him. Yeah, they put him in the Energizer Bunny outfit. And this, this little, or maybe it's a Playmate <laughs> outfit. Um, <laughs> my little Playmate. Uh, it's a bunny outfit. Honestly, I kind of wish he would be... We don't normally talk about how cute Scrappy is. I think the fact that he says, uh, my name's Scrappy, ma'am, uh, really just, like, endears you to him. But imagining him in the little pink bunny suit that he's wearing with, like, um, Ray Charles shades and, like, a little drum, I think would just be really cute. I, I would love that Scrappy. It's almost like a Scrappy who acts like Daphne acts in Be Cool Scooby-Doo. Like, who's just a goofball and who has various interests. Rather than this little ball of aggression and testosterone. Uh, it, it also turns out that in the, um, in the costume room, there's a second gorilla costume. Uh, because apparently they were buy one, get one free. Shaggy quips, uh, like, I guess you got your monkey's worth, Mr. Blake. <laughs> and then his, uh, because Shaggy is dressed up in a night outfit, his visor, like, slams down over his face accidentally. And that's what Scooby laughs at. He's like, now that's funny. And, uh, and... Which... Mm-hmm. Is, is pretty mean, because I thought, as far as wordplay goes, that was very clever. There's multiple parts in this episode where Shaggy has some decent wordplay, and then a physical gag happens to him, and then people laugh. <laughs> it's kind of, this sucks to be Shaggy in this episode. Yeah, well. Yeah, like, this is, this is like his super villain origin story. <laughs> this is why he killed his uncle to get a mansion in uh, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo Get a Clue. Um, um, and, and Scooby, for his part, is dressed up as... Is there a word for that? I don't know. Like a ch- like a Chiquita banana um, woman? Yeah. Mascot? <laughs> I don't know, but he's dressed up in, yeah, like a very, uh, a dress with a lot of flair and like a big hat with a fruit bowl on top of it, basically. And lipstick and Scooby's curvy. So we also find out that Thick AF. Um, this event is a fundraiser. Uh, and they're going to be selling a stamp called the Faulty Phoenix, which is supposedly the most valuable stamp in the world. Yeah. Did do, do they say what it's a money raiser for or fundraiser for? I don't. I don't believe so. Maybe it's a fundraiser for them. I think that's what it is. <laughs> they called it a fundraiser, but it's just to raise the funds of the richest family in the area. Uh, and uh, and the thing that's being auctioned, as you said, is the stamp, the Faulty Phoenix, I believe. They're also by the pool which um, they explain is going to be the dance floor because uh, they can cover it over with like a Richie Rich type button that just like apparently marble slabs just like cover the surface of the pool at the touch of a button. That was the insane thing. Like one of these pools that convert to a floor, that exists today. It'd be amazing to me if it existed back then, let alone with marble so heavy. Um, We also find out that there's a little shed 
almost right, almost exactly right next to the pool that is full of bubble bath samples for the guests. Like overflowing with bubble bath samples. They look like hoarders. Uh, their first guest shows up, and his name is, I had to look it up, because the butler has, like, again, like, a lurch-esque voice. And it's a weird name on top of that. It's Mr. Damp. Milo Damp, I think. Yeah, Milo Damp. This threw me off a little bit. He's he's dressed up as Sherlock, but apparently he is also a real deal private investigator. Yes, he said he, he's I'm a private investigator. I'm here because I heard you're selling a valuable stamp, so my services could be of use. And what services would those be? I it, it it's not stated. It's not stated, but uh, Mrs. Banks, or excuse me, Mrs. Blake, uh, accepts it. She's like, oh yes, of course, please come on in. Um, as you said in the last episode, um, the creature that came from the chem lab, there are a lot of like background characters who are like people of color. The same is true here. And I thought it was great. It was, it's just like, like it's normal that not everybody is white. And a lot of these guests are like, uh, uh, non-white people, which I thought was nice. Um, yeah, I think it's really fantastic. A really quick thing that I want to point out it's it's one of my favorite all-time cartoon visual gags. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's when a character has a stack of bread on one side and a stack of meat on the other side, and they they shuffle them like cards, Ooh. and then they... What's it called? Is it the bridge? That's exactly what it is, yeah. They do the bridge with the bread on one side and the meat on the other side, and they create a stack of sandwiches, and I love that. I yeah. love it so much. The last time we did a double episode, both episodes were car-themed. Like They really tied in together. These episodes are no exception. They tie together with Scooby's card-handling skills. Previously, with the dishes in Home Economics, where he was like shuffling them out and dealing them out like a pro, here Scooby does the same thing as you said, with uh, meats and cheese. Was it bread meat? It looked like it was just a ton of American cheese. <laughs> like, he was just ma- made shuffled craft singles into a giant craft single sandwich and slammed it. Uh, yeah, wow, that's... I had another connection. It'll come to me later, hopefully. Um, and uh, that that is a great gag. One other thing I'll note, just because we pan across the dance floor, everybody's dancing, uh, we do see Daphne's outfit. She's dressed up as a cowgirl. I think it's a pretty smart outfit. I, I think it's a good look. And uh, some nice variety. I feel like we're going to rush through this episode very quickly because not a ton happens. So I will point out another bizarre uh, thing that happens in which Mrs. Blake tells Klaus, take this fruit bowl around to the guests. You would expect like like a like a platter of champagne or drinks. Or hors d'oeuvres. But no, she says, take the fruit bowl around to the guests. And Scooby's at the fruit bowl. And he's scared of Klaus still because he judges people based on their appearance, even though he's a dog amongst humans. So, uh, be less judgy, but to hide from Klaus who's approaching, he jumps into the fruit bowl. Uh, Klaus approaches one of the guests and said, Care for some fruits? As he's carrying this giant bowl with Scooby within it. And this woman says, Ah, yes, there's nothing quite so relaxing as a nice piece of fruit. And I'm just like, lady, who are you? And, like, why is that your reaction? I think she would have said that no matter what Klaus was bringing around. Like, care for some bubble bath bubbles? Mm, yes, there's nothing quite so relaxing as bubble bath bubbles. Care for a stone from the garden? Oh, yes, there's nothing quite so relaxing. And it's like, here's the thing. With bubble bath, relaxing at least makes sense. Who says yeah. that a piece of fruit is relaxing? <laughs> yeah, man, you want to go uh, pop a couple of apples, kick back and relax? And the thing that stood out to me in that scene is that when she does pull out one of the fruits, she pulls out Scooby, kind of obviously. Scooby 
it, it, in response to this kind of awkward spot he's in, smooches Klaus and then runs away. Almost like my reading of that was that Scooby has wanted to kiss Klaus from the start. <laughs> and and this is just, he's, he's seizing his moment. He's scared of Klaus because he desires Klaus. Just me. Okay, good to know. Um, one, I need one other note on the dance scene while we're on this dance floor. It just... Everyone's dressed in all these different costumes, but there are quite a few people who are dressed in animal outfits, their faces appearing in the neck of the animal, the animal's head on top of their head, and it's kind of like a f furry thing. It feels like a sex thing. There's a... It feels like a sex one, thing. One of the guests you... is, a, is a black man dressed as a horse, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think he has the most sexual costume. Because well, it's, it's like Lycra from the shoulders down. But then the horse head, like, pops up out of the top of his head. And he's got a little bulge. Does he have a bulge? Am I making that up? I don't think so. It just feels very skin tight. That's why I said it looks like it feels like a sex thing a, a little bit. Yeah. And, and granted, there's, like, a clown. There's a butterfly woman. Later on, we'll see Batman from behind or, like, a version of him. So and, uh, and like you said, the rest of the episode goes pretty fast. Yeah. Inside, you can see that there's a gorilla who is in the study and who's taking the stamp. And it's obviously not Mr. Blake. Yeah, Mr. Blake has just gone to go get the stamp and bring it out, but he took off his his gorilla mask. So we know he's walking out without the gorilla mask. This is a different person, presumably in that different gorilla outfit. Scooby is behind, he eats a banana, and he tosses the peel on the floor, because he's an animal. Um, the, uh, the mystery gorilla uh, leaves also leaves behind an ace of spades where the stamp was, turns around, slips on the banana peel, the stamp uh, flies in the air and flutters down into Scooby's hat. Mm. The, the monster is about to, or the, the villain, I guess it's not a monster, we know it's a dude in a costume, is about to grab Scooby's hat and take off, but Mr. Blake catches up right in that moment. He says, Scooby, stop that gorilla! And Scooby was, didn't have a problem with that gorilla up to this moment. He thought it was Mr. Blake. Now it's confusing. Now this uh, fake Blake is about to run away without the hat. Uh, the... Does the fake Blake not also... He also slips... No, wait. No, the fake Blake runs away successfully. The real Blake now slips on the banana peel. My favorite thing about the real Blake slipping on it is that he slips the banana peel into a garbage can. <laughs> like, he, he, he does clean up as he falls. They, they look at... They, see, they find the calling card. They realize, oh, it is the masked Manx. Um... Who, who stole it. They also find some broken glass in the corner of the study. It's near a window, but the window has not been broken at all. Mm. And the glass is, it's very square shaped. Like, it only shows the glass for a moment, but you look at it and you're like, oh, what, what did that look like when it wasn't broken? And it almost looks like a glass card. Yeah. Like it's very squ square and rectangular. But yeah, like you said, the window's not broken, so we don't know where this glass came from. They, they go outside and um, they say that... Uh... <laughs> That classic Fred Jones line. Uh, then I suggest we split up and search the grounds. He, uh, they, they need somebody else to step up and take that role. And I'm just, I'm just gonna say right now, um, and and I, I'm gonna touch on something from the la from the last episode as well. The thief in the gorilla costume sees Scooby, and as soon as he sees Scooby, he acts like a monster. You're right. He growls. You know and what like I mean? Tries to grab Scooby, which is kind of. We know you're not a monster, dude. No one has ever thought that. that. That was never a factor. If anything, you should ditch the costume and leave. You're right. Why wear the co- Well, he has to try and get the stamp back from Scooby's hat, 
which Scooby I don't think knows is in there. That's true. That's true. Um, he needs to get the stamp. But but all, but I think I think it benefits him to change out of his costume. I think you're right. The costume only shows him as the culprit. If whoever he is or she is, this culprit, if they changed out of the costume and just said, "Scooby, I love your hat. Can I see it for a second? This episode would be over and they would lose the stamp. That would be it. I, I, so, yeah, I want to touch on really quickly something that happened in the first half that we missed. Daphne does get that piece of monster skin analyzed, and a, and she comes back to uh, Shaggy oh, and, yeah. and Scooby and Scrappy or whatever, and apparently it's like painted foam latex. <laughs> Which apparently really needed the analysis, even though we could pretty much tell that by glancing at it ourselves. And I love, I love how it reveals that, like, oh, it's obviously not a monster unless the monster is made of painted foam latex. It's a suit, but they're still terrified of the monster. That's true. I mean, the monster still does have these claws that pinch and burst a football. So the monster's not without threat. But uh, you're right that they know it's not a real monster from early on. I also want to know how Daphne analyzed that. Because I imagine she just walked up to literally anyone and said, Hey, what is this? They looked at it and they said, That's latex painted green. And then she walked back to the rest of the game. There's a very, there's a very, very short chase scene. Um, but it's interesting because being chased are not just uh, Shaggy and Scooby, but also Mrs. Blake. Oh, that's right, yeah, she's in the mix too. Uh, and you can tell that the Blakes have that bubble bath money because the monster chases them into uh, an area that has a sign that says the Blake Zoo. Insane money. They have a zoo on their premises. We've already seen that they have a stable as we were panning across their estate initially, and now they've got a zoo with exotic animals, as we see. Yeah, it's not just, like, like common North American animals, because yeah. um, they ride back out of the zoo, and Scooby and Shaggy are riding an ostrich... Sorry, um, Shaggy... I guess it's Shaggy and Mrs. Blake are riding an ostrich and a camel, and the Manx is riding a giraffe. Yeah, and, I mean, it makes sense. We know that... Characters in this show are intermittently going to be in love with ostriches. So that that's always going to make an appearance. But the camel and the giraffe is out of nowhere. Um, all of the guests are still by the pool. And Scooby messes around with the control panel, dumps everyone into the pool. Actually, it's Scrappy who does. Who thinks he's going to be helping and he just jams buttons on the pool controls a whole bunch. And so it shoves everybody into the pool which was really not necessary because from the other side, that's where the monster was coming and was going to fall in the pool anyway. Yes, I, I did write Scrappy. I don't know why I said Scooby. Um, the monster, Mrs. Blake and Shaggy, they all fall into the pool on atop their animals. And the giraffe is obviously fine. It has very long legs and a long The neck. others drown. I feel like the ostrich would drown. It's an ostrich. Yeah, I can ostriches swim? Help me, Google. I, just because ostriches have so many feathers, I assume the feathers would really, like, bog it down. Yeah, like, uh, hang on, swimming ostrich. There's a YouTube video. Oh, I guess I was wrong. They're capable of swimming, though, not very quickly. I think a lot of birds, if they get stuck in the water, they can kind of, like, pad over to a shore, but they obviously can't take off from the water. Uh, so Shaggy also, because his visor keeps snapping shut, he keeps doing, mm. making mistakes. He opens up the shed of the bubble bath. It all goes into the water. Everyone's in the water now. Everyone's having actually a pretty good time. 
This, I mean, this looks like a lot of fun. It's like one of those bubble bath club things in Thailand that I never went to. Mrs. Blake actually says to Mr. Blake, like, come in, dear. Like, the water feels great. Yeah. Uh, and we realized that Scooby's in this water, too. And uh, for a moment, I thought, that stamp is worthless now. It's now, it's now been posted onto Scooby. You can mail him, but that's all it's good for. Uh, but Scooby is lifted from the pool within a bubble along with Scrappy. They, they float up in a bubble each. Uh, and when he falls, his hat um, floats off of his head into the hands of Mr. Blake, who sees the stamp inside, so the stamp is safe. Mm, it's been recovered successfully. You know how in The Sims, if you take away all the ladders out of a pool, your Sims will swim until they die? Yeah. Even if it's a dry pool, they'll just they'll starve to death in there. Because there's no way of um, of them getting out. They need a ladder, and the Manx in this gorilla costume is kind of like a sim in that he's really struggling to get out of the pool. Like he can't find a ladder. He's trying to like hold, grab this uh, like fish statue that's on the side of the pool to climb out. In that moment, maybe because we were just in the locker room in the previous episode, but we see him from behind and he's kind of hunched and hairy and trying to like climb out of the pool. And we see like his spine and like the little cleft of his butt. It looked like a dude changing in the gym, like a naked man, like trying to get the towel over here. It was a gross little moment for me, and I need to share that with you, listeners. Um. So anyway, it's it's obvious that they catch the Manx, which again, look, I'm sorry, it doesn't make any sense that he's called the masked Manx. Like, yeah, why call him that? Why introduce that? I Me. Mean, for one thing, no one's ever seen this burglar. We've never seen him do anything else. He's obviously not a Manx here. He's dressed up in the gorilla outfit. He's not masked except the gorilla outfit, which is just for this specific heist. The masked Manx thing does not come into play at all. Not a bit. Like, like why didn't they call him, like, the Ace Bandit? Yeah, exactly that. At, at this point, though, really... There are only two possible culprits, because we've only been introduced to two other people besides the Blakes, and we know it's not them. Mm. It could either be Klaus, or it could be Milo Damp. It could be Klaus because he's creepy and Scooby doesn't like him, or he's creepy and Scooby likes him. Uh, or it's going to be Milo Damp. And ultimately it is Milo Damp, as we see. This is one of those, we don't see the mask get pulled off, we zoom in when the mask is already off, as if we should have known all along. And it turns out that he's not even a real private eye. Like, his, his agency was a phony uh, just to cover his crimes. Which, literally, so, so you're telling me he formed a fake or a phony private eye agency with the intention of, like, going into people's homes to protect them from the Manx? Yeah, he's got a one-star review on Yelp because every home he goes in to prevent a Manx uh, theft at then has a Manx theft. Like, I don't know what it, the Manx must just be that good, because no matter what protection you buy, you're, you're screwed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's basically what it is. He's been a fake private eye, actually stealing all this stuff, and we know it's him from some of the clues we got along the way, and it has to do with his magnifying glass. We, we did unfortunately uh, miss mentioning earlier that in the woods, they find a magnifying glass that belongs to Mr. Blake, because it has a B... Mono monogrammed on it? Yes, and as a matter of fact, Mr. Blake uses it initially to show the, the stamp, and when he puts the stamp down in its little resting spot, he leaves the magnifying glass on top of that. And I actually found this part of the mystery, I like this part of the mystery quite a bit, because it turns out that um, the Manx, or Milo Damp, 
he was in a Sherlock outfit, and so he had a magnifying glass. He drops it and breaks it, which is the glass they find in the study. He needs to still have a magnifying glass to complete his costume, so he takes Mr. Blake's. Now that I'm saying that out loud, I think it's dumb. <laughs> I, I liked it too until I thought about it. And I was like, this is, why is this happening? Because, uh, for one thing, the magnifying glass that breaks, we don't see it break. And when the Manx, when this guy falls, it's in a totally different spot than we find the glass. It's like in a hallway. And the glass is square shaped. It's not even remotely magnifying glass shaped. And when he's walking around to Sherlock Holmes, does he really think people are paying that much attention to him? Like, yeah, I don't think any anybody's gonna be like, "Hey, man, where's, where's your the magnifying, glass? magnifying glass, boy? You had it before. Where is it now? Um, Are you not a real private eye? They don't care that you've never solved the case. But if you don't have a magnifying glass, the only thing I liked about his arrest was that the cop says it's the Huskow for you, buddy. The Huskow. <laughs> man, I missed that. What the heck is that? It's just an old timey term for jail. The Huskow. Woo. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. I've never heard that. I mean, I guess I heard it in this episode, but it just breezed right past me. And then we we end with a really, really weird gag. Because all episodes... An episode of Scooby-Doo almost always ends with a, with Scooby doing a gag of some sort. And and the gang sort of like laughing with slash at him. Um, and it turns out that the gag at the end of this episode is Shaggy, mm. the animals keep licking him. And I guess the pool water and the saliva from the animals have rusted him shut. Yeah. A pretty fair gag like anytime a person in a suit of armor gets wet you expect it to rust that's a cause effect relationship that's been proven time and time again he, he needs to then get out of the outfit he's he's leaned up against a wall and the animals are still licking him scooby um pulls out a gigantic can opener yeah a giant can opener almost looks like a bottle opener um and it's it's probably the the height of Scooby that Scooby walks over with, and the gag that follows. Please describe it so I don't have to. Scooby starts opening, I guess, the suit of armor, but it's we can't see it. All we can see is Shaggy's face, or like I guess his belly button up. We don't even see his face. We just see him, yeah, like from like the torso up, and, and it, the armor over his face, and we see him shaking, and cl- we hear clanging. And first of all, that's a really weird, honestly fairly disturbing image to see um i i think this has been we know this now but they didn't know it back then that if you're going to show only the upper portion of somebody and it's something is happening to the lower portion of them that's shaking their body overall you got to be really careful with what you're implying there's a lot you can read into that the most off-putting part for me is that shaggy then starts to laugh to himself and he says (laughs) Shaggy Shaggy do. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't I do not like that. Oh, it feels so wrong. The wrongest note to end on. Shaggy, you're not a do. The implied action ha- happening below Shaggy's waist, the aggressive clanging noises, Shaggy laughing and then laughingly saying Shaggy Shaggy do is the worst ending for a Scooby-Doo episode I've ever seen in my life. No, I don't, I don't think you can top that in terms of bad. It's horrifically off-putting. I agree. It's, it's gross. Um, <laughs> as, as we've said with, um, with episodes in the past, or of this particular show, you don't get so many of those classic tropes because a lot of the gang is gone and because they're such short episodes. But I would say that I liked a great deal of about both of these episodes. Same here. I thought they... Actually, I thought they were pretty comedically sensible. 
given how long ago these were, that I, I connected with a lot of the jokes pretty well. Some of them, like, I was like, is that a joke? Were they making a joke there? Like when they said chem le uh, computer room, like four times in a row. I was like, that, that's pretty funny. The timing isn't perfect, but there's a great joke there. And that was a lot of this episode. Yeah, honestly, I, I'm not sure what more I have to say. I like the first half better than the back half, but I thought that they were both still like fairly enjoyable. Yeah, I I almost felt like I enjoyed these episodes too much. Like, oh man, I don't want to love an episode that lacks Fred and, and Velma and has Scrappy in them, but I, I really like this setup. Like, it's just so new and fresh and interesting while still being old and janky and uh, clunky. Uh, yeah, is, I mean, is there anything else? Or are we just... That's really everything I've got to say. Any final analysis? I mean, to return to any any analysis now that we've covered these episodes that we want to, to hit on again in terms of the 11-minute setup? I think that these episodes really prove, at least for the first one and then sort of for the second one, that you can deliver a satisfying episode of Scooby-Doo in a reduced amount of time. And it's going to miss some aspects of Scooby-Doo. Like, the... Uh, kind of just that feeling of settling into the mystery of like walking through a mansion slowly and you know you can count on a scare but you can also count on a gag and you can count on the gang reconvening and talking things out a little bit that even pacing is gone here it's it's very quick um but you can pack a lot in it just doesn't happen every time and i, I think that's all my thoughts as well um ooh, did we talk about i'm sorry i can't believe i almost missed this okay I really can't believe this, but uh, the Masked Manx, we don't know what his sclera color is. <laughs> There's no way of knowing. It's, it doesn't say in the Scooby Wikia. The only monster I've ever looked up that doesn't have that, and I've looked up more than a few. What a gross oversight. Honestly, it's, I mean, under other statistics, it has occupation, burglar. But what is his sclera color? <laughs> I'll tell you, reader, <laughs> listeners, because I can see it looking at it right now. He has flesh-toned sclera. Like, it's the same color as the rest of the face. It's one of those faces. But uh, step it up, scooby wiki -a guy. Come on. I either want to know the sclera of every single monster or of none, none of them. None of them, exactly. As soon as you, especially if you're going to go through and do 90% of monsters, do the other 10%. I guess, I, I guess that's the benefit of a wiki. Uh, we could be the people who go through... I think we should add the sclera color for everyone. It blows my mind. Honest to goodness, I encourage every listener, you know, even if you don't go through and, like, listen to, watch the episodes that we talk about, please go to the Scooby-Doo Wikia, look up any monster, literally any monster except the Masked Manx, and you will learn their eye color and their sclera color. Two different entries. And you will also <laughs> learn their gender. <laughs> oh, man. Pretty great stuff. Well, that was another fun episode. Stick around for the outro. We'll tell you where you can follow up with us and how else you can uh, keep in touch with us, the Scooby Dudes. Yep, that's it. Okay, so we said at the top of this episode that this was going to be a long outro. Yeah, what's the what's the reason for that, Evan? Aren't all of our outros long? <laughs> okay, all right, that is true. Uh, one thing that I want to start being a lot better about is I want to shout out our title card artists. Every single episode in which mm. they uh, <laughs> they do art for us, I think that we should we should really like heap some praise upon them. Do you want to tell us who our title card artist is this week? I, I want to tell them who all of our other title card artists are and not this week. 
Oh, but man. we're starting. We're starting this week. Starting so this week. So could you tell them this week who drew our title card? I, before I do that, I guess I'm just curious, Evan. Why is that? Why is it just now you suddenly want to shout out our title card artists so much? Before you really want to keep them in the dark. They're kind of the man behind the curtain. I, I have always, I have always wanted to. I have intermittently, but I want to get serious about it this week. You know, I fear that our listeners will think that I've edited out our previous artist shoutouts. I've never done that. I try and showcase them as much as I can. The reason you don't know who did the art this week is because I did edit it out. We'll never know. It's it will never okay, be spoken. No, tell them you know who it you know who it is. Tell them. Okay, this week our uh, our title card artist was P. <laughs> no, I I drew the title card. Evan did our title card art. This also, week. I did it for free. I did it for no money because uh, that's how much I love the podcast. I'm just willing to give that service. I think that's what your title card was worth. Is I I paid you proportionate to the the level of effort and to the quality of the product at the end. Actually, I still haven't seen the title card art for this week. So, I although I when we started chatting, I fully expected you would show it to me first and then I would have an opportunity to lavish praise upon you. I can't say that. It might be crap, dude. It's, it's really good. Just okay. Um Evan Evan is very artistically talented. I don't doubt it is very good. Evan himself did the title card art this week. Everyone, let's give Evan a hand. Oh boy, we're all clapping at home for you, Evan. All right, that's enough. Oh, someone's not clapping. Yeah, it's he's he's walking around the room wearing wearing soggy flippers. <laughs> Wet socks. <laughs> Get that scuba diver out of here. <laughs> Speaking of scoob, uh, but yeah, you did the title card art this week. Any anything else you want aside from additional praise and recognition for that? Well, let's let's run through uh let's just run through a bunch of the regular things, which is that you can um you can find us on Facebook at Scooby Dudes mm-hmm. sorry, Facebook.com slash Scooby Dudes. Yeah, a real simple easy to find page. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter by following at the Scooby Dudes. Uh, hit us up. You can also hit us up by shooting us an email. That would be scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. That you definitely can. And uh, if, you want to, uh, if you want to just access our general portal for all Scooby Dudes related media and content, the best place is scoobydudes.com. That's right. We locked down that very domain. Yeah, we talked about that title card. If you head over there, that's where you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also see like screenshots uh, that we've captioned. You can see all the show notes that I've put together. It's it's great, and I heartily recommend that you head over there. I heartily recommend it too. And uh, let me see. Outside of that, if you would like to donate to us on Patreon, that would be much appreciated. Can yeah. we do that part next? I'm saving the the best for last. As well as we said, it is a free service. But if you would like mm. to uh, if you'd like to pay for that free service, please, by all means, uh, we will uh, we will reward your financial efforts. Yes, and, and, by by giving you some bonus content. Bonus content, exactly that. And and like I said, it's kind of pay what you want. And I think you want to pay money. I think you want to pay at least something, don't you, want a man? And uh, and to do that, go to Patreon.com/ScoobyDudes. Again, you can get great additional content on the reg based on your donation level. Um, and you can help this podcast keep going. So give me your money. Someone reminded me <laughs> that I used to do that, and I still do. Okay, so to cap off this outro, I know that we've been running through it at a breakneck pace. Oh, re- really quick, we do need to shout out our donors. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we don't have any new donors, but everyone who's donated to us in the past, hey, we'll still give you some, uh, 
We'll give you some time on the cast. Yeah, so uh, we're going to say your names out loud right now. Boom, there it was. We said them out loud. You're welcome. Uh, And to cap off this very special episode, what do we have? Yeah, I, I really apologize for rushing. There's just so much. You know that every single episode for the past few, I've been saying, leave us a review on iTunes. I will read it. Um, and I kept checking just online, like on the iTunes, like br- like in a, in a browser, and it showed the same reviews over and over. I recently installed iTunes and checked, and there are a bunch. And I, I don't use iTunes myself, and I also leave almost everything when it comes to the production of the podcast to Evan, so I didn't recognize any of these either. Apparently, we've got a bunch of reviews. I haven't read any of them. I have no idea. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read each of these reviews. I will give Luke a short time to react, and then I'm just going to go through all of them. And if necessary, I will later censor out anything, because we did promise that whatever is written in these reviews, we will read. So hopefully people played nice with that. We'll see. All right, are you ready? Review numero uno. Okay, so this first review... Uh, was left by someone named Knox Wolf on August 9th, 2017. It is a five-star review, and the review is titled, My Husband Said I Have To. Uh, the review itself oh, reads... Oh, this is Sam's review. All right, here we go. <laughs> the review itself reads, He emails you a lot. You know that guy. Yep, I married him. That makes it sound like she married him because he emails us a lot like oh man this guy sends some some good emails i gotta get in on that uh that that's uh, uh, this is the wife of our good friend michael right our super fan michael Uh, yeah the next one and and thank you so much uh michael's michael's wife um for uh for 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 letting your husband uh coerce you into leaving us a five-star review it is appreciated that's that's amazing was that the whole review <laughs> that's the whole that's the whole review the next one is uh the next one is the longest one we have it was left on august 14th it's by gone crazy 25 uh the review is titled fun listen it is also five stars the review is titled it is also five stars okay no it's titled fun listen i didn't know i'm just curious <laughs> it's, it's a five star review okay i will say they are all five star reviews Okay, good on um, that. So Gone Crazy not, 25... We, quick note, we will not read it otherwise. You get no airtime if it's a four-star. Okay, star. we might still read it. Just hold on, let me okay, read this. Maybe. Uh, listening to these guys is a lot of fun. I have watched pretty much every Scooby-Doo that has been made, but these guys definitely have me thinking about each episode in a brand new way. Hmm. Even to the point of when I'm watching at home, I can hear them saying, and here we get the Scooby-Doop. <laughs> It's refreshing to listen to someone who clearly enjoys watching what they are talking about. Luke and Evan definitely have good chemistry together, with occasional bouts down the rabbit hole that can get pretty crazy, but they do a decent job of getting back on track. Even though the podcast is young, I hope they keep it up for a long time. Wow, that's a very sweet podcast uh, review, and it seems to have a subtle dig at other Scooby-Doo podcasts built in there. It's refreshing to hear guys talk about this in a way that maybe they actually enjoy Scooby-Doo slash each other. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> enough. Um, next is uh, is Billy Dog Donut, uh, who left us a review on August 18th. I don't know who these people are. That's the hardest part for me. Yeah. Actually, I don't, I don't know who these last... This one and the last one, I have no idea. The title of the review, One of My Favorite Podcasts! Mm. Exclamation point. They say... This is definitely tied with another Scooby-Doo podcast from my favorite podcast. I thoroughly enjoy every episode. I listen to it when I'm doing dishes and playing video games. I definitely recommend it for people who enjoy Scooby-Doo. 
Five out of five stars, easy. Wow, that's nice. I'm really curious who it is we're tied with. Uh, this is like the opposite of the last review. They're shouting up other Scooby-Doo podcasts. But uh, still a very sweet but review. But thankfully, thankfully did not name them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I will. These other Scooby-Doo podcasts. No, 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 no. I'm going to read the next <laughs> review. It is by someone we do know. It's left by Samwise Wade on September 4th. Our original artist. Uh, the review is titled 11 out of 10. Yes, our original artist. She did the first six title cards. Yeah, for someone who was so insistent on getting shouted out himself, you're really ready to breeze past our very original <laughs> artist. Uh, she says, Luke loves Evan, Evan loves you, and they both love Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Dupes, Mystery, your fave gang of unmasking kids slash teens slash 20-somethings and their dumb dog too, wrapped up in hilarious commentary, brilliant insight, and delightful tangents, equals this golden podcast nugget. Luke and Evan bring a killer episode weekly with amazing extras on their website. They clearly love what they're doing, love their listeners, and go above and beyond consistently. Taste with your ear holes and enjoy. (laughs) That is... Honestly, we should put that on our website or something. That's good copy. No, for for real, like, I'm, like, working in, in publishing, and one of the things I do is I find reviews, and I'll, like, copy uh, praise and put it on our, uh, on our, in our system. And let me tell you, that is worth a pull quote. That is top-tier writing. Sam, thank you. Uh, that's a very thoughtful review. And, and I do have one last review. It's on, it's when I, uh, I go to scooby dudes um on the canadian portal does it not show up on the Um, american portal if i loaded my itunes it wouldn't yeah it's making me realize that um if 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 you're canadian uh and you're listening to scooby dudes uh you'll only find one review uh so to so to all of our canadian listeners (laughs) we're we're more popular yeah please help please help bolster Mm. our uh, our presence in the great white north we're big in the states not so much in uh in canada yeah, and going further down south, if, if you're listening to us in Mexico, I have no idea. We could be huge down there. We could be blowing up. Please at least let us know. Shoot us an email. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go through and check every single, like, domain. Um, so unfor- or, or maybe I will. Maybe email us. If you've left us a review and you come from a, from a country that's not the States or Canada, send us an email and let us know so I can find it. Evan's desktop is soon going to become a world map of different iTunes loaded by region. You have to click on each individual shortcut week by week. Uh, but yeah, please do hit us up. And what is th- what is this Canadian review? Yeah, it's going to close out this outro. Um, this is also someone that uh, that we, uh, I know slash we know. Five stars? Five stars. Proceed. It's left by Lightning BTW, who I know to be my good friend Theo. Uh, my rival. Uh, it was left on August 11th. <laughs> it, this is the shortest review we have. <laughs> it's the short. It's even shorter than your sister's. Wow. Um, and it's titled, Luke is so handsome. <laughs> you liar. And the review itself says, and funny. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Theo. You know, I've never spoken one word directly to Theo in my life. Luke, you're, you're blushing. I'm blushing and sweating. I've never felt so kawaii in my life. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, Theo, I thought you were a baka, but you are my senpai. <laughs> uh, from, from all accounts I've heard, all of them being from Evan, Theo, you're an amazing guy, and I look forward to meeting you someday, which I don't doubt is going to happen, even though I still consider you a rival for Evan's 
uh, for the spot of Evan's best friend. But that's a that's a very sweet review. That's I don't think we could end on a better note than you calling someone first Baka <laughs> and then Senpai. Oh, Kanichiwa, this is the Scooby Dudes. Does Kanichiwa work both ways like Aloha? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine to say hello to people when you're walking away from them. Hello! 